called again. What did you tell him? I told him that you're still looking. You just can't afford it. Yeah, well, look at how broken she doesn't do Until we get some money, there's just not going to be any gifts. The spirit of Christmas illuminates the picture window of the soul. To catch the real meaning of the spirit of Christmas, we need only drop the last syllable and it becomes the spirit of Christ. Well, sadly, baby Jesus gets lost sometimes, but how I many know we can find him, can't we? We celebrate Christmas because of the, of the birth of a baby, but not just any baby, the baby that grew up to become the savior of the world. I've been in a series called Why Me? The question we often ask, why are bad things happening? Last week, why are good things happening? Why has God blessed me in a special way? But I want to ask that question this morning through the lips of Christ himself. I want to begin with the baby. I want to go to some 30, 33 years later 
when Jesus asked this as he was dying on a cross. Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did you turn your back on me? You see, the baby in the manger ended up dying on a cross and literally God the Father turned his back on him for one reason and one alone. It was because of my sin and yours. The human race has a problem it can't solve and consequences no one wants to experience. Consequences of sin are eternal judgment and no one is exempt. We live life like tomorrow will be like today and next week will be like last week. But one day the Bible says life on earth will be over. One day we'll stand before God, we'll give an account for our lives. The Bible teaches, teaches us that heaven is real and hell is real and there's consequences to sin and Jesus wants to save us from that. Maybe you saw a number of years ago an old uh, Bruce Willis movie called Armageddon. You remember that? When the world was going to be destroyed by the killer asteroid and nobody could fix it but Bruce. Well, I want to tell you, there's a killer asteroid coming to planet Earth, uh, and it's something that Bruce Willis can't destroy. Bruce Willis can't stop. Nuclear warheads can't stop. But God provided a way through Jesus Christ to save us. Jesus took on himself. It was the greatest act of love the world has ever known when Christ willingly allowed himself to be placed on a cross and take on himself the sins of the world. He paid a debt he didn't owe for a price we couldn't afford to pay. And today we're going to talk about why baby Jesus was born, but why God turned his back on him at the cross. It's to be a different kind of message. Normally, I, I try to be very, very practical where you can take something and walk out and begin to uh, apply it in your life. But this morning's message is intended to deepen your understanding. It is intended to bring what I will call the theology of the cross, the theology of redemption, it is to help you understand from a biblical point of view that we will go back in time. From the cross, we will go back several thousand years. We'll go to the Garden of Eden and see that, 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 that Jesus Christ is pictured there. We'll move ahead to the Passover and Moses. We'll go to the temple. We'll see all these uh, uh, religious uh, expressions were anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, born to be King of kings and Lord of lords. So I hope you'll uh, uh, join me this morning as we dig into the scripture, as we ask the question in the title, Why Me? A Portrait of Sorrow and Joy. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 1, the Christmas story. Jesus was born to die for the sins of the human race. When kids are born, I, I had this, my wife wanted me to show another video. I said, honey, I just can't. It was of our grandson, and he's one, and he's opening a Christmas present. They had an early present at, at his house, so he gets this little present, and he just meticulously tears off about an inch or two-inch piece of paper, puts it in a box. Somebody said he's OCD like Pops, probably, but he, he pulls it off again, and my son is going. And, and I'm thinking the personality of this child, and you can think about what he'll become in life. You see a nurturing personality in a little girl. You see an organizer. You see a creative person. And we think and dream and plan as parents and grandparents what they might be. We get them toys that are appropriate for their personality and, and interest and all that. Well, they have a purpose that we're trying to get them towards, but how many know Jesus had a purpose too? And the purpose this little baby came to the earth was to solve the unsolvable problem of humanity, and that is to deal with the sin of, our, of the human race. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the Christmas story. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, and Messiah means Savior, the rescuer, the deliverer. He was born. His mother Mary engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she's still a virgin, she became pregnant. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit, and Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quickly or quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It is the purpose of the birth of Christ. Christmas is a joyful time. Families get together, parties. How many can say I'm partied out this year at Christmas? I understand. Parties, we decorate our Christmas tree, we open presents. But the purpose of all these celebrations is what the world doesn't want us to pause to focus on. The purpose of our celebration is to remember the birth of Jesus Christ. The purpose of his life was to become the savior of the world because this baby in the manger had a job to do. God had taken on human flesh to solve a problem everyone has and no one can fix. God knew before the world began. This amazes me. God knew before the world was even created, there would be a need for a Savior. I read a, a verse from Revelation. It's speaking of the beast, uh, this satanic embodiment on the earth that's luring the earth. The inhabitants of the earth worship the beast in those names who've not been written in the Lamb's book of life. This Lamb's book of life is a book in heaven that's recorded of every person that has believed in Christ and is following him. They have received him as Savior. They follow him as Lord. They're saved. They'll go to heaven one day. These will be with him forever. But notice what it says. It's describing Jesus Christ as a lamb. The lamb of God who was slain from the creation of the world. That Jesus the Lamb was crucified, slain before the world was even created. Before Genesis 1-1 and God said, let there be, it was in his mind that he would, uh, the human race would need a Messiah. The only way I can explain it to you, if God had created us perfect, we would be robots. We wouldn't have free will. Free will is what distinguishes man from the rest of creation. Free, listen, I, you can try to force me to love you. But when I choose to love you, it's different. I thought of this testimony Linnell gave. Uh, uh, if I could go into a little more detail, it was a, it was a white person. And the white lady came up to her and said, you know, I've been in church all my life, but this is the first place I ever learned to love a black person. Now, she was not a hater. You could tell she was a sweet lady. But her world, her culture, had just caused her to be, that's not a part of what she said, I learned to love people here. Amen. Now, that's a powerful, powerful, powerful thought. I guarantee you she went through some school, some government agency that insisted that we treat other people with equity, fairness, blah, 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 blah. But you can't bring that from the heart. And this comes from the heart. God wanted our love for him, not because we had to, but because we want to. See, I've tasted the things of the world. I've tasted what Satan offers, and I don't want it. I choose Jesus. Well, he knew he had to let us go through this for this to happen. I would even go as far as to say the entire Old Testament anticipates his coming. 
I want to show you that this morning as I look at portraits of Christ in the Old Testament. After the resurrection, Jesus told his disciples something pretty amazing. After the resurrection in Luke 24, Jesus said it was necessary that Christ the Messiah would suffer on the cross and then enter into glory. And listen to this, beginning with Moses and the prophets. By Moses, it means the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. So Jesus is saying, go back to the beginning of the Bible, read through all the prophets, and he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, the baby of the manger, was, it was spoken about in the Bible thousands of years before he was born. He was foreshadowed, he was pictured, he was predicted, he was prophesied that a Savior would come to the human race and everything up to that time was only in figure and shadow. Let's look in these four Old Testament places. We begin in Genesis because it's in Genesis after the creation of the world. God created the world from nothing. God created Adam from the dust of the earth. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Adam looked around and said, I'm lonely. I got horses to ride and ducks and turkeys to chase, but nobody looks like me. And God said, go sleep. And Adam woke up and he went, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Uh, that's kind of how it happened. And God gave them this beautiful place to live in. And it's like all of the Garden of Eden had anything they needed, no problems whatsoever. It's like God went to your favorite grocery store, wherever it is. I mean, I, 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 I like uh, when I go to a big city, I'll go to Whole Foods or somewhere like that. And, 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 and you go to the grocery store and God said, you can eat everything in this grocery store except what's on the top of shelf 6C. So you take your basket and you walk around and you get some organic, organic asparagus, you know, and you get some whatever phosphate-free dishwashing detergent and, and you fill your basket with everything. And, and it just seems perfect. Your basket is full, but something draws you to 6C. And the devil is... And pretty soon you drive your cart around there and you look and it's sitting up on the shelf there. And everything else you need is around you, but something in your heart draws you to open it and take it, and, and it all falls apart. Well, that's kind of what happened there when they ate from the forbidden tree. But to Adam, God said after this, you ate fruit from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. This is the fall of man. S temptation, sin entered in the human race, and everything changed in man's relationship with God. They were once like that, and now they became like that. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food and you'll return to the ground, which is a way of saying life will have its difficulties and one day you'll face death itself. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. We'll come back to that. The Lord banished them from the Garden of Eden. I suggest to you that this skin that was placed on them was not some sterile, you know, fake uh, animal skin you buy at Dillard's or somewhere. But an animal was literally killed to do two things. Its skin protected them from the elements, but its blood atoned for their sin. Their blood was a, was a covering, as it were. Their blood was a chain that kind of chained them to God and chained them to, to Adam that brought them back together as best it could. Sin entered the human race, separated humanity from God, and pain and suffering and death would affect all of Adam and Eve's descendants. We're all sinners, the Bible says. To sin is to go our own way, to break God's commandments. 
We can sin by murdering someone in the most violent way with a machete or we can think an evil thought in our heart. And Jesus says it's the same. It's sin. It's a curse. It needs a solution. Well, Jesus is the solution. And this animal was an anticipation of Christ. Its blood that was shed is parallel to what Christ will do on the cross. Say, how do you know that, Pastor? Leviticus, thanks for asking. Uh, Leviticus 17 says this, the law of Moses, which, was the, which had a, a sacrificial element to it, it was all built on dealing with the sins of the world. And Leviticus says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Yours is too. You breathe air, it goes in your bloodstream and supplies oxygen to your, your lungs. You, you, you eat food, it's digested. And your blood carries it as nutrition. Life is in the blood. If you have no blood, you have no life. And this is what Scripture says. I have given it to you, this life or blood you put on the altar to make atonement for your souls. Now listen, it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. One of the biggest, most important words you'll ever hear about, you do not hear about it in school, it is the word atonement. And atonement, by definition, means the act by which God and man are brought together in personal relationship. Atonement implies the separation, the Garden of Eden. But to atone is to make at one, to make us one. And the Bible says that when the blood was sacrificed, it paid the penalty or the price that separated. Romans 6 reminds us of this truth. It says the payment for sin is death. But God gives us the free gift of life forever. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Come on, give him a big hand today. Let's move from Genesis now to the Passover. The Passover, uh, the Israelites find themselves as a people in the nation of, of, of Egypt. They went there as 70 under Joseph. They were heroes. But now 400 years later, they've become slaves. And Pharaoh has them build these great temples and the, all the things that are built in Egypt. Well, God says, it's time for my children to go, and Pharaoh says, no. So God says, I'm sending ten plagues. He turned the Nile River into blood. He sent gnats. He sent frogs. But to all these, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart says, I don't care. Now comes the final plague. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, and think of the plague as a judgment against evil. Uh, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, tell the whole community of Israel, take a... A lamb. You're going to see an animal trickle through the pages of Genesis all the way to the cross, and then you'll never see another animal sacrificed. Take a lamb for your family. The animal you choose must be year-old males without defect. In other words, it's got to be perfect. And in the same way, Jesus was the lamb of God. Jesus was perfect. He fulfilled God's requirement for a perfect sacrifice because when Jesus died, he didn't die for his sins. He died for our sins. Jesus lived a perfect life on this earth. You hear movies and stories produced today that Jesus had an affair with Mary Magdalene. Not biblical. That, that comes out of, the, the, out of the gutter of Hollywood. He was without defect. And then what does it say? Slaughter this animal at midnight. Death. You say, death, pastor. There's a lot of death in the Bible. It sure is. It's a lot of death in human life today. There's a way that death is atoning for the sin of mankind. But notice verse 7, this very interesting. Mind you now, there's thousands of Israelites living across the valleys. You're to take some of the blood. You put it on the sides 
of the top of the doorframe of your house, symbolizing, some would suggest, a cross. It is the Lord's Passover. We celebrate, a pa Jews still celebrate Passover today. As Christians, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. When you take that little small portion of bread, it's kind of crunchy, you think like a cracker, it's because it doesn't have yeast in it. Yeast is symbolic of sin. It's not sin, but it's symbolic. So that bread reminds us of the perfect sacrifice of Christ. On that night, the death angel is going to pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn. It's judgment. I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, but the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And notice what Scripture says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you in judgment. And this is the picture of the power of the blood that is shed on behalf of a life. Blood atones for sin. Blood which mankind has been separated brings them back together. The only problem up until Christ died, it was having to be done every year because there was no perfect sacrifice. Jump ahead to the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, written to a Jewish audience that updates the Old Testament for us. And it says, indeed, under the law, Old Testament law, almost everything is purified by blood. So here's the problem in America. Purity means nothing. We, 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 don't, we don't refer to sin in America today. You don't hear sin talked about on, on CNN or Fox. You don't hear sin talked about in the classroom. What you hear talked about in America today is the freedom to do whatever you want to, to cross any God-ordained boundary that you want to, because in essence, society makes us God. Secularism has gotten rid of God, and since there is no God, I'm in charge, and I can do what I want to do. So you don't hear sin talked about, hence you don't hear purity talked about. You hear purity mocked. I can't remember all the details, but I'll do my best. I read an article recently where someone was promoting sexual immorality, and she was encouraging all the young girls and boys that had purity rings to send them to her, and she would melt it down and make a sexual symbol. That's the world we live in today. Sinners do what sinners do. We're not better than they are. We've just had our eyes open. God in his mercy has just opened our eyes. Now we want to try to reach them with the same love of Christ. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will come. Look at Hebrews 9. Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, say it with me, there is no forgiveness of sins. You say, Pastor, I don't like that. You're making me feel very uncomfortable. Sorry. But it's one of God's laws. See, the Bible is not a storybook. The Bible is not Reader's Digest. The same God who gave us laws in the natural gave us spiritual laws. How, how, many, how many respect the law of gravity? Let me see your hand. Some of you wouldn't raise your hand if I said, I'll buy you lunch today. <laughs> see, I didn't say that, though. <laughs> gravity. Let's just say people treat gravity like they treat the law of, of, of sin and death or this, the idea of bloodshed. Take you a trip up to the top of the Farmer's Bank building or on top of St. Michael's where the helicopter lands. Oh, I don't like gravity. I don't believe in it. I don't want it to exist. I want to do what I want to do, and you just do that. Whether you like it or not, you better respect it. Uh, anybody, if you go up a, a big hotel, an elevator, you know, 50 stories up or 90, and the elevator's on the outside and it's glass, and, and, and not many of us go, oh, isn't that cool? You kind of, 
How many can say I'm with you there, Pastor? Yeah, 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 yeah. Why is that? We respect it. Well, this is God's law. But look at John 1.29. The next day, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Can you imagine a large, imagine a crowd of people this large after church if we're walking to the powerhouse together and in the middle of the crowd somebody points to someone and said, look, a lamb. Somebody, the policeman would come up and see what they'd been smoking. But John saw something about Jesus Christ. John saw that Jesus was God's answer to our problem, that he fulfilled perfectly God's requirements. Let me take you to the Old Testament temple. The sacrificial system that anticipated a suffering Savior. I got a couple pictures of this. You hear the temple or the tabernacle. Now this is Moses in the wilderness. This was portable. It was actually built by Solomon in Jerusalem. It was destroyed uh, in the season of, before Nehemiah and Ezra. They re rebuilt it back, and that's the one that was there when Jesus. So it was this elaborate temple. But in the wilderness, it was portable, but it was basically the same. The people could come on the outside, but only certain priests could go in here. You know, you had a place, a laver of washing, you had the showbread, different things. But see this curtain, highly significant. It went all the way across, and it separated what's called the holy place from the holiest of holies. You know what that is right there? That's the Ark of the Covenant. Think of Indiana Jones. And once a year, the high priest would go back behind this curtain and he would put blood on it. Show us the next picture of that, of that Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, what, it contained the Ten Commandments in its early days. It contained a, a jar of manna, and it contained Aaron's rod. Uh, but, but only the high priest was allowed to go in there once a year. Now, this is called the mercy seat on top, and these are angels or cherubim. And on this mercy seat, the high priest would place, guess what? Let's read it, Hebrews, uh, I'm, I'm, Leviticus 16. This high priest will slaughter the goat for a sin offering for the people. Keep in the back of your mind baby Jesus because he had an appointment to take the place of all the bulls and goats and eternally atone for our sins. He'll slaughter the goat for the sin offering and take its blood behind the curtain. He'll sprinkle it on the atonement cover. And in this way, He'll make atonement. Remember, at one, he will bring God and man back together. He'll bring relationship, which was separated by sin. He, he'll make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. So whatever you and I have done, I don't care how horrible or how bad it is, I don't care how much shame it's brought to you, God can forgive us. Jump ahead to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 9 when Christ came as high priest, he didn't enter by mean of, means of blood of uh, goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all, what's it say? By his own blood. Mind you now, we are responding to God's requirements, thus obtaining eternal redemption, which means people now can live with God forever and ever and ever and ever. Here's a really cool thing. Again, we talked about this curtain uh, 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 separated the two places and the priest would go once a year 
Listen to what happened in Matthew 27 after Jesus was crucified. This is one of the, what I'm sharing with you now is in my opinion one of the greatest arguments for the validity of Christianity and the consistency of the Bible. If you're here today and you're somewhat a skeptic of Christianity, I want you to think about what I'm reading you today that happened over a period of hundreds and even thousands of years and its coherency. There's a coherence to the Christian message that's missing in other worldviews. Uh, Matthew 27, after Jesus was crucified, history records he cries out in a loud voice and he dies. And look at verse 51. Then the curtain in the temple... That curtain that's separate was torn in two pieces from top to bottom. It's like when he said it is finished, an angel did that, which symbolized people can now come directly into the presence of God. They don't need a mediator. They don't need a priest. They don't need the blood of goats. They don't need the blood of bulls. They can come in boldly because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, friend, God initiated this. God did this. We've just got to choose to walk through the door. Um, I, let me keep going here. The, the prophets, again, for the skeptic, to think that what the Bible recorded hundreds of years before it happened and then it happens must get your attention. 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah said this, The Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive. We're not talking about in vitro fertilization 2,000 years ago. And what man in his right mind would be believed to have said, a virgin will, will conceive. This virgin will bear a son. You'll call his name Emmanuel. Matthew's gospel quotes this. Emmanuel means God with us, which simply is a way of saying Jesus was God. He was God the Son, there is God the Father, and God the Spirit. The Bible teaches that they are one. In my mind, they seem more like three, but the Bible says that they are one, one in their essence, in their nature, and their being. I can't explain that to you, but I can explain Genesis 1-1 to you. In the beginning, God. I do not understand each other. My mind is framed in a time-space continuum, and I cannot imagine eternity. I cannot imagine a pre-existent God, though I talk about it freely. So when God says he's revealed himself in three persons, literally, God left the creator, left heaven and came to earth to be one of us, to be a perfect sacrifice to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. You see, if Jesus had been born a sinner, his death would have only paid for his sins. But he was crucified as a perfect being, hence he could bear my sins and yours. Isaiah saw this, and this is the love of God. If you want to understand who God is, let this be your starting place. God is a loving God. Now, God is like a coin. There's heads and tails. If you reject his, long, his love long enough, you'll experience his judgment. Look at Isaiah 40, uh, 53. Think about this, Now it's talking about the suffering of Christ. And as I read these ver ver uh, verses, think about Jesus now on the cross. He was hated and rejected by people. He had much pain and suffering. People would not even look at him. He was hated and we didn't even notice him. He took our suffering on him. He felt our pain. We saw his suffering and thought God was punishing him. But he was wounded for the wrong 
we did. He was crushed for the evil we did. The punishment which made us well was given to him, and we are healed because of his wounds. Come on, give him a big hand today. Let me head towards the end. In Jesus' own words, when he walked this earth, he predicted his death. Matthew 16, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he's got to go to Jerusalem and suffer, be killed, and the third day be raised to life. If someone were to credibly tell me that they're out to kill me and they're going to do it and I was convinced they could, I would get away. I would not be sitting by a window in my house where a sniper could shoot me. I would not be in a known location. I would not be a posting on Facebook. I would not be on my cell phone where they could track my location with a GPS. I would go somewhere and I'd try to get away from the one that was trying to kill me. Are you with me today? You would too. You would do everything in your power to preserve your life. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus willingly went towards it because he loved us. Listen to what else he said, John 3. You may have never heard this. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What, what does that mean, Pastor? In the Old Testament, they were sinning against God, and God released their sin released judgment, and snakes are vipers. I hate snakes. They're everywhere, and they're biting people, and people are obviously, they're going to die. But Moses put a picture of a snake on a pole, and if they simply looked up at that pole, the snake wouldn't kill them. And then Jesus said, just like Moses lifted that bronze snake on a pole, I'm going to be lifted up or lifted up on a cross. And then Jesus said this, everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. He knew he was the Savior of the world. And perhaps the greatest, the last statement that he made that brings multiple exclamation points Jesus is on the cross. He tasted this vinegar or this gall, and he said three words, it is finished. He bowed his head and he died. What did he mean? The atonement is accomplished. The at-oneness is not just like this that happened with animals and blood, but the atonement now has been sealed forever. The penalty has been paid. The way has been opened to heaven. You and I, my friends, can have eternal life because Jesus has made the way back to heaven. The Bible, Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Come on, aren't you glad today that Jesus Christ loved us that much to make a way back to God? And that's the uniqueness of the Christian faith. I'll close with this thought. You remember our text? The why question when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Clearly it was for the sins of the people and he had never known before. But I want to look at the flip side. Hebrews 12. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He accepted its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, clearly, friend, there was nothing joyful about the cross. There was nothing fun. But Jesus bore our sins, and his Father turned his back on him. But the joy came because of his love for us. You see, Jesus knew that that was the only way to fix what Adam broke. 
And Jesus loved us so much that he took that journey. He saw through the pain, and he saw the relationship with you and I. The scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And friends, that's why we celebrate on Christmas morning the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your, stand to your feet just a moment? And we're just going to have just a moment with the Lord before we dismiss. I want to ask you to do this. Forget about where you're going to lunch a minute. Forget about what you're doing this afternoon. Forget about what's on the TV. Could we just give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to perhaps do something in our hearts with what we've heard from the Bible today? See, because what you heard today was not just the opinion of some man. All I did today was read Scripture to you in such a fashion. We see how it fits together, how Christ has the preeminence of overall. Maybe... We're a bit alike. Remember that video kind of touched your heart there? I even saw Jason on the front row, had a tear in his eye. I did too the first time I saw it. But doesn't it seem sometimes like baby Jesus gets lost under the counter, under the dresser? And if you just wait, he'll never come out. But you've got to get out on your knees and you've got to look for him and you've got to get something and bring him out you got to go to a special place you've prepared and put him in his rightful place. Well, you know where his rightful place is today? It's in our hearts. When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment in all the Bible, he said to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I find, I, I'm 61. I've been a Christian 40 years, a little over 40 years. Jesus still sometimes slips down from the top of the dresser. I don't, I, 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 I don't mean I've got a girlfriend somewhere else. I don't mean I, you know, I go to sermon.com to get the sermon on Sunday. I mean, I try to live a Christian life. But what I'm saying is, life is complicated. Life is busy. My priorities get confused. If I'm not careful, chasing a duck becomes more important than chasing my destiny. If I'm not careful, I'll become more about something that won't last. I'll spend more time Googling some, something on, 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 on a, a product that'll be gone just like that than I do on digging deeply in God's Word and trying to understand life. We're all like that. Could we just pray just a moment and ask the Lord to help us take a step closer to Him? Could we ask the Lord to maybe do in us what He did in that little girl? The innocence and purity of a little girl that was building a manger while mom and dad were trying to figure out Christmas presents and the other two kids are already making their list. Listen, nothing wrong with the presents, but let's keep it all in perspective. Why don't you just bow your head just a moment and just say, Lord, I want to love you. I, I want to love you with all my heart. I don't want to live my whole life as a Sunday Christian. I, I don't want to live my life with you in the back seat. When I think today about what you did for me, 
When I think today about the birth of Christ was a part of a plan that was birthed in eternity for me. How could I treat you, Lord, in a flippant fashion? How could I ignore you? How could I pretend your commandments don't matter? So Lord, I just want to reach out to heaven right now and ask the Holy Spirit to change me. Come on, do this with me. Just reach out to heaven and I want you to pray for yourself. Say, Lord, help me be the person you want me to be. Don't let me settle for a second best life. Let the starting place of my life be at the cross. And let me live my life each day to please you. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Welcome. We're going to close the service this way. We're going to have one last song, and, and then we're going to dismiss. But in this prayer time, you might want to come up. And we'll pray with you about anything. I mean, maybe you're getting ready. I'm getting ready to leave for Mississippi. I'm supposed to have barbecue with my sister tonight at 6 in Memphis. We've all got plans. But maybe there's going to be conflict where you're going, and you want somebody to pray for you that God would help you. Maybe there's sadness this Christmas in your heart. I, it doesn't matter what it is. We'll pray about anything. But the most important prayer we'd like to pray today is about your personal relationship with Christ. See, I'm honored that you came today because Texarkana is filled with great churches. But you listened to a man for 45 minutes talk about the purpose of Christmas. That Jesus Christ came as a, boy, as a baby. He grew to be a grown man with one purpose, to die for the sins of humanity. And I want to ask you this question, friend. That being true, if you were to die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Because you see, Jesus did his part on the cross but then he made this incredible statement. Jesus said, to as many as received him, our scripture says, to those he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God, to those that believe on his name. Imagine one of your relatives at Christmas, when you go back, I'm going to Mississippi, and they say, John, I got a present for you. And you don't stop by the first day, and you drive by their house, but you never pull in. It's your grandma. John, I got a present, honey. I know, I know, and I'll get it one day. Grandma, I, I didn't get to come by, but I, I, I got to be home Friday. Well, honey, you don't have your present. I know, Grandma, but, but I just couldn't come. Well, you know salvation is like that? Until you go to Christ and humble yourself and say, Lord, I want to ask you to forgive me for my sins. I want to ask you to give me a brand new start in life because today I declare publicly that I believe in you and I want to invite you to come in my life and be my Lord and Savior. You know what you're doing by that prayer? You're opening the present that God wrapped up 2,000 years ago. You make a step to believe and to follow. And if you're here right now and you feel like I'm talking to you, you know something's missing in your life. You've tried to fill that void inside with pleasure, with money, with relationships, with, 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 with degrees, status symbols, but it's like pouring water in a bucket with a hole in it. See, what's missing is a real relationship with God. And that starts when we humble ourselves and invite Christ in our life. Well, if that's you today and you'd like for us to pray for you, we'd be honored to. When they begin this last song, our prayer team's coming to the front, but you that want to commit your life to Christ, whether it's the first time or you've gotten away from God and you want to come back, I want to ask you to slip out of your chair and come to the cross as a symbol of, of, of where we'll pray with you as you give your life to Jesus Christ. You just go ahead and begin to sing right now. Let me invite our prayer team down to the front. We're going to pray. 
And if you need to give your life to Christ, you need to get right with God today. Slip out of your chair. We'll meet you at the cross. I love you and thanks for coming today. Merry Christmas.